It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Jim Nooney, Chief Executive Officer of Nooney Controls. Established in 1982, Nooney Controls is a valve automation integrator, serving customers primarily in the domestic and international power generation and energy sector with application-specific custom control valves and valve automation. Nooney Controls was established by Jim's father, and he became CEO in 2001, overseeing three times growth over the past 18 years, with 2018 revenue exceeding $20 million. Nooney Control has 27 employees, and Jim Nooney is also a C12 member. Jim Nooney, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brand. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to the interview. Well, it's great to have you here. And, you know, we've had a chance to chat a couple of times before getting started. Uh, and I was just about to begin asking you about your early years. And I thought, no, we start the podcast that way. So let's get that going. You know, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, you know, what your early family life was like. Uh, well, I'm. Uh I would I consider myself a Rhode Islander. Yeah. Um, I, I've lived in Rhode Island most of my life. Although my father uh, had a career um, in the valve industry, that uh, like a lot of people in his generation, he was a real company man, and so we we moved quite a bit. We lived right. in, uh, in outside of Philadelphia. Um, I was actually born in Buffalo, New York. Oh wow! Um, so you know what winters are like, or or did you live there long enough to experience it? <laughs> uh, I, I I lived in uh, and then a, a stint when I started with uh, with the the business um, lived in Glens Falls, New York. So uh, a, a little bit of time in upstate New York. We we as a family lived in Elmira, New York, for a couple okay. of years. So beautiful, it, up been there. around. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a Rhode Islander. And, yeah, um, cool. And Dad's founded the company, if I'm not mistaken. I know we'll get to that a little bit later. So mm-hmm. he worked in the industry and then got. Nooney Controls, yeah. Nooney Controls, controls. sorry. Yep, yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. He was a uh, worked his way up. He was a draftsman. He went to Brown University to, in engineering, and uh, that didn't work out. But he he did get a, a job with a valve company in the summer, and that turned into his career. So awesome, awesome. Now, was he an engineer by training? Did he, uh, you know, study that uh, in school, or did he kind of you know evolve from uh, a working class background? Yeah, his uh, my my grandparents, uh, paternal grandparents, were uh, school teachers. They were my grandfather was a um, athletic director and basketball coach, very successful basketball coach here in Rhode Island. And my grandmother was a elementary school teacher. So he grew up uh, working class, um, post slightly post depression era. So uh, uh, 
you know, part of, part of the greatest generation, I would yeah. say. Yeah, cool. And what about mom? What was her background? She, uh, she, her father passed away at a very young age and uh, re- my grandmother remarried a, a man from Greece, as a matter of fact. Wow. Uh, she grew up in Long Island and so she's a sort of a New Yorker. Doesn't, she doesn't like to admit that, but she is. <laughs> and she um, uh, had, had, a, had a, a great family life. Um, her father was, uh, her second father, her, her stepfather yeah. was yeah. An, attor- an attorney in, uh, outside of New York City. And um, did a lot of work for the Greek community in New York City. So, a lot of interesting stories there. Did she work from the home or did she have a career as well? She was a a housewife um, and mother, um, dedicated to that completely and perfectly um, comfortable there. And uh, just a great mother. I mean, my mother is a, we all say our mothers are saints, but she was um, uh, on several levels, a great inspiration um, for me, you know, and even in my career. So, is she still with us, Jim? She is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Both, she live up in Rhode are. Island, or both of them are. Okay. Cool. Yeah, they they live in this in Rhode Island in the summer and uh, South Carolina outside of Charleston in the winter oh, for nice. six Beautiful months. So there. they got it. Beautiful down there. They got it made. Yeah. Awesome. Brothers and sisters. I have uh, one sister. And okay. She is uh, a couple years younger than I am. Yeah. Uh, We've always had a very good relationship. Um, she was a, a school teacher by trade, and uh, but she ended up uh, having four children and homeschooling them. So she oh, took wow. her, her her education background and translated to homeschool mom. And um, her kids are all grown and out of the house now. So she actually came to work for me uh, a few years ago. Oh, good. And I would consider her one of my excellent employees. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So she is in the business. She she is. Yeah. What role does she play? Administrative role, not not a not a not a high level management role, but uh, a role that she's she's good at and comfortable in. So it's just great to have her here. She's she's a lot like my mother, so she brought a lot of the traits that my mother had when she Excellent. worked here years ago. So uh, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, cool. What about some of the early influences that your parents had on you, or and or your sister? You know, from those early years, do you remember specific things or lessons that were learned? For example, uh, you know, we're both men of faith uh, involved in the C12 group. Was that an important part of your upbringing, or did you did you come to Christianity later in your life? Well, actually, I, I accepted Christ when I was in second grade. So it's awesome. been it's been uh, whatever that is, fifty years, right, <laughs> close to fifty right. years. So. And I'm grateful to say that I have a lot to show for it. So it's uh, I'm grateful to my parents. My my mother accepted Christ when she was um, a young woman. We lived in Philadelphia. I was a small child, uh-huh. and my father was not uh, did not follow suit. And he uh, was a uh, very dedicated to his career, um, traveled a lot, um, a a good father, but um, did not share my mother's faith. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think over over a period of years, watched my mother transform um, and become a new person. And mm. I think that was a a huge influence on my father. And eventually he accepted Christ and 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 then watching him be transformed. So I think that, you know, for me, the influence uh, of my parents is is in a big part of it is their faith. Um and also uh they gave me a lot of freedom. So they were uh, they loved me, but they gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, they allowed me to fail. And um, just kind of reminiscing about that with my mother recently uh, and laughing about it a little bit, a lot of freedom. And um, 
I, it paid off. I think that uh, uh, I'm grateful for that. You know, uh, that's a very common trait in many of the CEO interviews we've done is that, you know, willingness to fail, right? Take those risks, et cetera. Did, did that start as a kid? Were there things that you did that they encourage you to do that you recall that you failed at and learned the lesson from and, you know, did it better the next time? Or did that come later in life? I think that came later in life, yeah. I think just just the, just the that the freedom uh, allowed me to try different things, do different things, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, throughout one thread in my life has been that uh, I'm a, I love a lot to do a lot of different things. So I'm a kind of a jack of all, a master of none, which I think is, you know, has suited me well and, and served me well. Um, and I, I, I give my parents the credit for that. Keeps life interesting too, doesn't it? I, I kind of pursue that in our executive search practice. I get questions all the time about, well, why aren't you specializing in one industry? And I said, why would I want to do that? I get a chance to learn about, you know, controls and valves and real estate and all types of different things. And it's a very interesting part of, of life. I, any other early influencers, whether coaches or music teachers or other folks that you remember early on that had an impact? Maybe Sunday school teachers. I know I had a couple. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I was saved by my Sunday school teacher, so oh, I, I can't. That's great. I cool. can't uh, not mention that. But uh, what, what can't, comes to mind, I think uh, you know, there are many, many people have influenced, and it's uh, be a long list. But I, I, I go back to my grandmother and grandfather, my my father's grandmother, and grandfather, father and mother. My grandfather was uh, a school teacher and basketball coach, and and very well loved and admired here in our little Rhode Island. Um, and I got to kind of witness that and, and, and what I witnessed with my grandfather and just the kind of person he was, uh, was very relational, um, very kind to people and a uh, great sense of humor. And so that was, a, you know, kind of how do you conduct yourself? He was a great example. Were they believers as well, your, your grandparents? They were not. They were okay. not. But mm -hmm. um, I, I pray that they, they made that decision before they passed from this earth. I, when I was a kid, I... I reminded them that was a decision they needed to make. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. And my grandmother was the opposite. Some she of us plant seeds, other of us harvest, right, mm -hmm. Jim? <laughs> you were saying, I'm sorry, your grandmother was My, my grandmother was the, was the school teacher, um, oh, okay. kind of a hard nose, uh, very strict, um, very disciplined. And, you know, that's, and those are good things. And right. so I, I took some of that from her. She was the, she was the one who, um, didn't take anything from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And there's a little bit of that that, you know, we all need that at some, at some level at times. Sure, sure. Speaking of school, were you a good student? Uh, I was a terrible student. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I I can't whitewash that one. It's I was a terrible student. I, I was, I was before they, before the term ADD came about, I was that person. So I was that kid. I was, could sit still. Uh, you know, back then it was called ants in your pants. Now it's ADD, but <laughs> the, the there was no you know if there was no medication for it, it was you know simply you're going to have to figure figure it out. So, yeah, I was I was not a good student. I were you dyslexic as well? I mean, of course that wasn't diagnosed in those days, but typically those things go together. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I was just uh, I just had a hard time sitting still, and so it, that kind of dogged me through all the way through college. I mean, I got through it, but uh, I was good at I was always strong coming out of the box, and then I'd fade. Because I've had a hard time staying staying with it, so it's what kind of things did you pursue outside of class? Were there sports or music, theater, politics? I played every sport. I, again, you know, jack of all, master of none. I played. <laughs> I, I, you get on the list of high school sports and college sports. I played 
I played them all. I, you know, I played in the tennis team for a little while, but in the golf team, I played basketball in high school, college, baseball, high school and college, uh, intramural hockey. I just, you know, anything sports, I was, I was on it. And, uh, and I kind of regret that actually, because I think there's, was, that was, uh, didn't allow me for a little bit broader life experience in those years. I, I wish that I had taken up some musical instruments and had done maybe a little bit of theater. Um, so I, I regret that. It's never too late, Jim. <laughs> I agree. I love music and, and, uh, yeah, you're right. That's, there's, there are things in my retirement that I'm, I'm ready for. There so. you go. There you go. What about entrepreneurial approaches? You know, did you do things like have the ubiquitous paper route or, you know, sell Christmas cards or, you know, other types of activities to earn uh, pocket yeah. change? Yeah, I was, I was pretty entrepreneurial. I think that pocket change is the right word. I, I always like to have money in my pocket. It was, I was a kind of a source of control and, um, so yeah, I always I always had a job of some sort. Um, what kind of jobs were those? You know, particularly in high school and yeah, maybe high school and college. I had uh, summer jobs that I always start a little bit early, and uh, she's I was a uh, worked for a, a builder, a home builder. Uh, I worked for a nursery, um, outdoor nursery. Um, I never did retail. I always kind of shied mm-hmm. away from it. I always mm-hmm. wanted to be outside, so I had a lot of outdoor jobs and. Um, had the paper route, uh, did a lot of painting. When I was in college, I started a painting business, um, and that was um, led to some very interesting experiences. It sounded like going to college was kind of uh, a necessary assumed fact. Did you uh, finance your way? Did mom and dad help? Were you on scholarships? Yeah, I went. I had the opportunity to go to a prep school here in Rhode Island, and that was uh, that was an eye opening experience because I, I was academically not really up to the challenge, but my, my father had faith that I could. And so, uh, that, that probably saved me because it t- taught me how to study. Uh, I lived, sure. I lived at the school. And so, you know, we had two and a half, right. three hours every night where the door closed and they checked on you and you had right. to study. And I, right. I think ha- had I not had that experience, I think college would have been a disaster. Yeah, our youngest daughter went to Taft down here in Connecticut, and that's what, you know, brought us out. And, you know, she said the same thing. Once she got to college, you could really separate the kids that, you know, were really prepped and knew how to study from, you know, and those that went to boarding schools versus those that didn't. You know, it does teach you those habits. What school did you go to? It's uh, it's called Moses Brown, and it's uh-huh. right, right next to Brown University. It's the right, same right. Brown family and 300-year-old school, Ivy Covered, the, you know, classic nice. New England prep school. So it was... You know, when I was there, I don't think I appreciate it, but later on, I realized what a what a gift that was, and um, yeah, I learned learned a lot there. Learned a and lot. how did you make a decision about what college to go to and what to study? Yeah, you know, uh, if you've been through the prep school routine, you know that that's a huge part of the, the their feeder. value is they 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 want to they want to put you in the right school. They want you to go to the school they'd like you to go to. And I remember sitting down with the counselor and my parents, and and they said, Jim, would you know, here's some suggestions. And I said, Well, I said. Uh, in all honesty, I already picked my school. And they said, oh, great. I said, I'm going to Gordon College. And uh, they uh, totally perplexed. Gordon College. Never heard of Gordon College. <laughs> and uh, Did you pick it yourself? Well, I had some, you know, some people guiding me a little bit. Yeah. But I, I realized I wanted to go to a Christian college. And I think yeah. because I was at a prep school where, where, where faith was uh, not something anybody More really secular. wanted to talk mm-hmm. about. Very secular. And, and uh, I, I just felt like, you know, my faith... And my walk um, with God is going to be, uh, you know, w- was a little bit hampered at at the at Moses Brown. I thought I, I re- a Christian college would be a good place for me, good so for I, don't, I don't regret it. 
It was, uh, it Where was, is Gordon? I, I don't think I'm familiar with it. Gordon is on the North Shore of Boston uh, okay. on Cape Ann in, in a little town called Wenham, uh, just kind of outside the, the you know large population centers of Boston. So sure. it's beautiful, beautiful place right on the coastline. Um, Far enough away from home where you, know, you weren't urged to come home every weekend, but when the laundry needed to be done, you were able to do so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it was, it's... Uh, it's a great place. I, I yeah. still have a lot of connections with Gordon and um, it's a Christian liberal arts college, about yeah, 16, awesome. 1700 students. So. Wow. Small. Yeah. Good. I bet you love that environment. What uh, did you do work as well during college? Was that kind of the paint business and some of the other things that you referred to or was there other work that was maybe more like, did you work for your dad, for example? Was that part of your college time? Yeah. No, my dad actually, he, he left his, his, uh, vice president of sales position with this valve company right when I was, I think a sophomore in college. And that's when he uh, founded Nuni controls. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. And so he, uh, you know, took a huge leap of faith. I was in college. My sister was just about to go into college. Wow. I think back of that decision and I think, but what a f- high risk, what a high risk, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, my father's very, you know, um, a man of faith and also a man of determination. And he, I don't think he ever thought he wasn't going to succeed. I think it was just a matter of how, how quickly would he, would he succeed? Yeah, Not if he would him. succeed. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was always had jobs in college. Um, I started a painting business with some friends, uh, uh outside of Boston, as you might imagine, if you live in Connecticut, you know, there's sure. still a lot of wood, wooden houses. And so That's right. painting That's right. opportunities were endless. <laughs> Particularly at the harsh weather, right? Oh yeah. Endless. So time. that, that was a, a, that was my first real, uh, opportunity to learn how to do business. And, uh, I learned a lot. It was a great experience. Um, managing people, managing friends, managing friends is tough. You know, that's, uh, that's ultimately that w- what ended it is, you know, uh, trying to manage your friends. <laughs> you sure, know? sure. Um, but yeah, that was a, a great experience. Very hard work and uh, and lucrative. We actually got an opportunity to um, do some work for a, a family up on uh, North Shore in uh, Manchester by the Sea, very wealthy town. Oh yeah, and they they liked our work, and so they ended up they have a they had a large mansion on Martha's Vineyard, and they asked me if I would grab a couple people and wow. come out and paint their mansion on Martha's Vineyard for a summer. Oh, and, fantastic. uh, yeah, we, we lived in the house. It was and put a, you up for it. Oh, fantastic. We lived in wow. the house up on the third floor, had a view of, of what it. a great summer that must've been. <laughs> it was a summer to remember. Yeah, Not it was, bad. it was hard work, but it was, it was, you know, a, another great learning experience. And that's um, great. That's great. Well, what was the first job out of Gordon then that you took? Well, I'm, I'm a unique person in that I'm, uh, I've worked for one company my entire career. Yeah. So, so you started as a sales engineer then with dad, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, he, I was gonna, I was considering, um, really starting a serious painting business and, you know, uh, going, going big with it. I think the opportunity was there. Well, after that summer on Martha's Vineyard, I can understand why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it's lucrative. And so yeah, I thought, well, I absolutely. could do this. I've take my, my, you know, business knowledge and, right, and, right. and education and, and take it. And my father was the business, Nudie controls starting to grow. And he said, uh, we need people right now. And, you know, I would love for you to work for us, but, uh, I'm not going to demand it. So, and you've got a week to decide. So he gave me wow. a week and, uh, 
it was a hard decision, but I felt like, you know, I love my father and yeah. we, we get along well. We, you know, normal conflicts of father, son, but in general, uh, great relationship. So I decided to do it. And, and so I got to do a little of everything. You know, the first yeah. few years, the company only had, yeah, I think five employees when I started in 1985. Wow. Did you have some uh, early leadership experiences there? You know, did you go right into managing people or did that come a little later? No, I, my, my first step was managing myself. Figuring out how to... <laughs> That's an important part to master. <laughs> I think what happened really, the, I, I spent about a year and a half um, at our, our headquarters here in Rhode Island. And then um, some of our suppliers were really eager to try to expand and get, get us to expand. And, uh, so we needed someone to go to Maine, go to northern New England to to sell to the paper mills and power plants up there. And so did you have a branch office up there or was it literally just stay in a hotel and going door to door? Yeah, I, I set up a little office, uh, rented some space up in outside of Augusta, Maine, and I lived in Amesbury, Mass <clears throat> and commuted up to Maine and northern New Hampshire every week. And it was uh it was brutal. I mean, it was a brutal experience. <laughs> cold calling, sounds like. L in the cold, literally. Well, you've, literally. You've, you've heard the term smokestack chasing. That's what I did. <laughs> I had not heard of that. That's great. I understand. Oh, my goodness. And that was, um, it, it, so I, that was my first opportunity to learn how to handle rejection. And um, oh, yeah, and yeah. I didn't have anybody around me. I was alone. And it was a very hard time. And it was Sure. Uh, I would call in uh, down here in Rhode Island and get a little bit of encouragement every couple of days, but uh, it was um, just trying to manage my emotions. And and really, it, that time was um, rejection and then learning how to build mm -hmm. relationships and and business relationships or everything. And and that was a uh, something I had to learn how to do well. And um, and I think I did. So that what was the biggest challenge during that period? Uh, you know, it sounds like obviously a lot of rejection, as you mentioned, but, you know, was it because of the competition? Was it they didn't need your products? Were they struggling? You know, what were some of the issues you were up against as you tried to, you know, broaden the, the, the landscape? I was up against pretty much everything. I think, <laughs> I think my father knew it would be hard. I don't think he knew it was going to be that hard, but I, I still am grateful for the experience. It still, it shapes, shapes a lot of my career now, but uh, there, there was established suppliers up there uh, that had been yeah. there for many years. They sure. were, they were more, you know, experienced than I was. I was very young. Probably talking to people double, twice your age. I would imagine. Oh yeah, right? many times yeah. it could teach me a lot, and I learned a lot from those customers, like uh, often we do. But I think also it was a booming time for the paper industry. So the paper industry is slowly, slowly dying in in New England, but right. it was at its peak during that time, and so there was yeah. a huge amount of project work and. And, uh, was this the eighties, Jim? When, when this when? was the, yeah, this was the late eighties. Late eighties. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then, um, and then we had some products we were trying to sell that were not well known. So trying to do the missionary work for the product that didn't have name recognition. So I had, I, right. I was stacked against me. Did faith play a role at all? And, you know, handling some of that rejection? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, if I hadn't, without my faith, I would have quit. I, I think, I, I went back to to Massachusetts every week and um, got around my friends, got around my church church <laughs> family, and we got recharged. It, it right. truly, right. it's truly how it worked. I, I have to yeah. say, Monday mornings were not a happy time in those sure. days, but sure. uh, I w I wouldn't have traded for the world. Really, slog through it. Yeah, do you remember the first time you started managing people, Jim? The um, yeah, I think. My father uh, felt like he was getting ready. He needed to get ready, start to prepare to, to step down. 
and that was in the mid nineties. And so yeah. I came came back here to Rhode Island. I'd actually uh, so you've been about ten years or so with the company by then, or a little less. Yeah, about ten years, about ten years. So I was in Maine, and then uh, and then we needed to open an office in Eastern New York to uh, pursue mm. a, a large OEM customer, GE. And uh, so I moved, got married, and moved all at the same time to upstate New York to establish an office there. And that was wow. that was a, a, a really important time in my career as well, because that was the first time I had successes. Sure. And so um had a small office there, did that for about five or six years, and then came back to Rhode Island. So Rhode Island was the coming back here to the headquarters was the first time that I had to even consider uh, you know, managing other people. And right. I, I right. really wasn't So did you move right into the CEO slot or were there interim positions after you had your sales engineering no, job? St- still still a sales engineer for the most yeah. part. Um no real leadership requirements. But um but I was watching. I was watching. Yeah, right, right. I was watching the you know some good things that I observed from my father and his partner, and and some not so good things. So I think you know, tried to learn from some of their. What were some of the not so good things? Those were always some of the interesting ones. <laughs> kind of like your comment about failure early on with mom. You know, what were some of the observational behaviors that you said? You know what? I think I'll do things differently when I'm the boss. I think that uh, my, my, you know, in all, all due credit to my father, he came in, um, you know, started from scratch, and he, he didn't really have a lot of management training, you right. know. Um, so he was kind of learning on the fly, and so um, w- some of the things that I saw that that I thought were pr- could, were pretty disruptive were uh, changing things, changing the rules for the employees. I, I, mm. I witnessed uh, commitments made and broken that. Um, I'm sure in his mind were legit and and uh, made sense for the business, but they they really undermined some of his leadership and some of his credibility. And uh, so I learned from that, and I think he learned from that later on. But I think that was something I observed, and I thought, boy, this is this is re- can be really disruptive, and right. um, I have to be careful with that. So that was one thing I learned. That was the other was um, my father's partner had occasionally had some pretty. Uh, uh, aggressive shouting matches, I guess you'd say. <laughs> and I watched, I watched that be pretty negative thing on mm. the, the morale of the business and the other employees. So I, uh, I'm cut from the same cloth. I, you know, in the past, were they 50, 50 partners? Was, was he, no, my father investor? was, he was the, he was uh, a minority partner, but, um, but a valuable partner and, and uh, tr- treated very equally in many ways. And so they, you know, they had disagreements and the disagreements occasionally, not often, but occasionally got heated. And it, it was uh, something that I don't think either of them realized was as uh, destructive to the culture as, mm-hmm. as, as it was. So yeah, and the examples to others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the lessons that you learned in those early management days? Of managing people specifically. Well, I think that um, not changing the rules, um, yeah. being consistent. I think um, I think one of the things that I really learned early on was that that uh, my job really is to be a servant. So as, mm-hmm. as a leader, that my job number one is to be a servant to, to really to equip everyone else to do their job the best they possibly can. And that I learned that. I mean, I realized that early on. I don't think I knew how to do it well. But I learned that I really felt like that was clear in my mind, and um, that I was a steward of this business. That it wasn't mm. it wasn't ever going to be mine. It was it was going right. to be something that I was stewarding. And hmm. I think that was a, a, a very important realization and something that uh, allowed me to um, 
to grow and to uh, build a really good team and a good culture. And uh, so I'm grateful for that. Did you come to that realization before you became CEO? Yes, I think so. I think so. That's very much a C12 principle, isn't it? You know, it's a, God's given us this business that we, and we're stewards to do the best with it, you know, with regards to helping others and, you know, showing our love to him, right? And, Amen. And, and those that work with us. Yeah, I think that's when awesome. I... When I came into C12, that was in large part why I came to C12 yeah, because yeah, I, tractor. Yeah. I, um, quick, quick story, if you don't mind, I, I yeah. uh, uh, realized about probably about four or five years into being the CEO here that uh, I really was woefully untrained un, uh, or woefully uh, incapable of leading uh, well and I needed some help. And I, sure. uh, I, I thought about possibly hiring some uh, management consultants and right, uh, right. talked to a few didn't um didn't click didn't click at all so yeah. i i went uh, i was invited to go to a, a meeting with vistage and i maybe i mentioned mm -hmm. that to you when we spoke mm -hmm. earlier yeah right um secular version c12 and i right. thought boy right. this is this is perfect um but as i got further into it i realized that the you know in the end the most important thing in in this equation is um how i can uh allow people to see Christ through me. And, right, and right. so this Vistage thing really wasn't going to align with that very well. That was so a I, piece that was missing. Yeah. Yep, that was yeah. a piece that was missing. And so it investigated C12 and then realized this is perfect. This is exactly what I need. And That's uh, great. Well, you've got a great group up there. You know, my chair, Bill Jolly, who I know you've known, has been up there a couple of times and joined your group. And I, t I told him, I've threatened him that I'd like to come up sometime too and join. So I've had the opportunity since we have homes in both California and Connecticut to go to a couple of the meetings down south. And uh, I just think it, it's great to be able to have, uh, you know, that connection with, with other men. I'm really looking forward to our conference in Atlanta coming up in May as well and meeting so many other men that, you know, kind of are aligned in that way. When did you take over as CEO, uh, Jim? In 2001. Okay, got it. So it was about another, about 20 years or so uh, with the company, or 15 or so, I guess, by the time you were there. Is that right? Yeah, about 15. Yep. So I was, um, it was a, <clears throat> um, I, I, I got to be honest, I didn't feel like I was up to the challenge. I didn't feel like I was qualified at all. And, but I was the, the logical choice and I was willing. I think a lot of times, like we say to our children, hey, listen, you may not be confident yourself, but I am, and you can do this. And I, at my father, in other words, basically said that. And so if, I figured if, he's, if, he, if he had faith in me to do this, then I, I could do it. And um, I didn't have the faith in myself, that's for sure. So that's, I think that was the part that was hard in the first few years is that the lack of confidence and insecurity that, you know, uh, got in the way of a lot of different things. I inherited some Longtime employees that were much older than I am, and that was a that was a real challenge to get through that, figure out how to do that. So, and the partner did he stay involved in the business after Dad retired? He exited a few years earlier. Okay, got it. So the you know the way was cleared for me to be able to do things the way I want to do them. It just it was just unclear exactly the best way. Did Dad stay involved in the business? Did he you know kind of go to the executive chairman role or stay on in the office for a while, or did he pretty much exit and say, "Here are the keys. I'm going fishing." Well, it wasn't fishing; it was golfing. But yes, <laughs> okay, okay, one of the two. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was done. When he was done, he was done. And and I and and, and I think in many ways, I think he that was a, a gift because yeah. um, it allowed me to develop relationships and prove myself to employees and vendors and the key relationships that we had with key customers. Right. Uh, I think if he'd been h hanging around, that would have been hard. 
Sure. And I sure. think he understood that. So I, I appreciated that. So yeah, but I had to figure it out. And uh, Right, right. And you've been a CEO for almost 20 years now, 18, 19 years. How, how would you say your leadership style has evolved over that time, Jim? Well, I think I think that uh, just by by kind of osmosis, I've understood that I really want to be a level five leader. So, mm. for, referring to John Maxwell's right, uh, right. Le- five levels, I think that uh, you know that 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 um, his methodology wasn't in front of me then, but I think I came to my own conclusions that I realized that's the best leadership for me yeah is to build relationships with my employees and my vendors our relationships are everything <clears throat> you know we say it often people buy from people we're, That's we're right. an engineered product very technical um yet at the same time uh the the most success we've had is when we build really good relationships with our vendors and our customers so sure um protecting relationships and um building them valuing them <clears throat> Uh, it, it was always important, but then learning how to do that well. And then I think, like I said earlier, uh, being a servant, I think equipping my employees, uh, it's very easy in your small business to feel like you have to be the best at everything. And I think early on, I, I felt like I had to be the best at everything. Hmm. Uh, since I ha- since I did almost every role in the company over, over the years, I felt like that to be the best CEO, I had to be able to do everybody's job hmm. as, as well as them or better. And that's totally flawed, and I learned yeah. that pretty quickly because as we grew, that was not possible. Either that, or you don't sleep much because you're <laughs> really trying to do everything, and that's just you know, going to wear you out. It wears you out too many yeah, hours, yeah. and and no balance. And I think our, my employees get you know employees get discouraged by that at some level. You don't realize they do, but they do. That you're not developing them, you're not making them stronger. You're making sure. them weaker. Right, right. Doesn't help anybody. Yeah. No, that's very thoughtful. Um, you know, you, you inherited a certain company culture with Dad uh, and his partner who grew the business. You know, since then, has you have you think have you thought that your or think that your company culture has evolved over that period? You know, what are your thoughts about that? I think we always had good culture. Uh, I think uh, a sense of uh, a real strong sense of respect for one another. Um, but I think that my father was he was. Uh, really challenged by how do I, how do I integrate my faith and my work? Yeah. And, he, yeah. and you know, that was a, a, t- a tension and he had a partner, who, although a minority partner who wasn't a man of faith, okay. he wasn't e- equally yoked and that was an obstacle. So, <clears throat> um, he, he did what he could do. Um, when he stepped down, it, it sort of opened the door for me to do things a little bit differently. Right. And right. I think, um, have you further integrated that in? Would you say that people know you or know, you know, Nuni Controls as a faith-based or a Christian-based organization? I hope so. I think mm-hmm. so. I think I've, I've never hit it. I think that one of the things that um, I remind myself all the time of and is the cliche, be the same person, be the same man on Monday morning as you were on Sunday yeah, morning. Right. And right. I, I, that's just in the back of my mind all the time, you know. It's be- living it that matters, really, right? You know, and treating your employees fairly and your customers with a high degree of integrity and ethics. I, you know, love, and I think loving your employees and loving your, uh, uh, is, is something that I enjoy. It's not work. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not me. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm and and it's just uh, that that just keeps getting unpacked, and as time passes, doing more and more ministry, and um, and we have a you know like any company, we have a very large diversity of personalities and and beliefs, 
but I, I believe that, that pretty much every employee is at some level grateful to work for a, a CEO who ha- is a person of faith and who, um, because they're really benefit beneficiary of my faith. And I think they know that. And, uh, and that's a fun thing to watch really. I think, um, People are flourishing here because uh, they know that I care about them and I love them. And I think that's important. It's, and it's not about me. It's not any great thing I did. It's really just trying to be faithful. Following the example, right? You know, when Jesus boiled it down, right? There's two commandments. <laughs> love God and love others, right? So, yeah, it's a great opportunity to do that. Jim, you know, we talked a little bit about people. What do you look for when you're making bets on, you know, the people you're going to invest in, either through hiring them or, you know, new new customers, <clears throat> new relationships? Well, I think when you talk about employees, um, our business has evolved and my process has evolved. And I think C12 has been re- really important part of that, how to understand how to do that well. But uh, but then trying to put feet to it is, is always the challenge. And um, so the starting point is, really to be looking for people with the character that fits the culture. And that's first. So uh, even though we're a business where, uh, you know, professional skills or technical skills are critically important in in many roles, uh, it's still, it has to be that culture, that character fits the culture uh, first approach. And so we have uh, core values that uh, we've had in place for a number of years. And that's where I start. Uh, is I lay that lay them in front of any prospective employee and make sure they understand what that means, give them an opportunity to, to ask the question, uh, and then really ask, then then try to find out who they are. Sure. Let them self-select as well. You know, sometimes putting that out there is very helpful. You know, we've <clears throat> got a number of uh, growing, C- growing number of C12 clients in, in our executive search practice, and we always put in, you know, Christian-based or faith-based organization in the job descriptions for the work we do with them. And, you know, sometimes I'll get clients say, well, is that really necessary? I say, well, yeah, it is, because that's going to really help others to be able to know where you stand. And, you know, that allows us to not get into embarrassing questions that might, you know, be challenging for them further down the line. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that's terrific you lay those out. What are those core values, Jim? Can you share those with us? Uh, sure. Yeah. They're, uh, first is apply biblical principles of diligence, hmm. gratefulness, humility, patience, grace, and forgiveness. So that's the starting point. Yeah. Um, follow through with what we say we'll do. Communicate mm-hmm. directly with honesty and respect. Uh, thoughtful evaluation to find the best solution. Embrace change when change is the best course, but at the same time, stability to perpetuate what we do well and instill confidence. So mm-hmm. those are our core mm-hmm. values, and I have them everywhere. Um, they can't be missed. And I've, what I've begin begun to see over the last few years is that uh, whenever there's a problem, a conflict, uh, something that's that that needs to be fixed. Um, that employees now go there before mm. I point them there, yeah. uh, which is great because that's it's they understand that that's where I'm going to start. How how does this measure up to our core values? This right. this right. this new opportunity, this this new customer, this this con- the, the way we're going to resolve this conflict. It's the yardstick. It's the metrics against which to evaluate. It makes it easier. It makes it a lot easier. I think it's you know. I think everybody knows it's easier to know where you're going if you have, you know, if you can see. But I think that, you know, for many years, I didn't have that. And so it was kind of a moving target. And this this makes right. it much easier. 
When did you develop the core values? Probably been about seven or seven or eight years. Yeah. So it's been enough awesome. time that people really understand it. I, I'm, I'm serious about it. It's not, it's not just a piece of paper on a, or a plaque. It's, right. this, is, this is who we are. Did you do that alone? Did you do that with some of the key employees? How did you come, come around to this? I think that it, some C12 guys helped, but I think it was really just like we always say, if you're going to write a mission statement, if you're going to write core values, say what you, say what you do. Maybe not every employee does that, but say what you do. Uh, don't make it up. You know, um, it can't be the north star in that it's it's something to reach for. It's it's got to be something that you are. So define who you are, and and so you know that's I, I wrote it. It was pretty easy to write when you say okay, okay, you're, you're really just writing out <laughs> what you believe that's and who you are. To you. Well, Jim Nooney, you've been very, very generous with your time. Thank you. We, we always kind of end with one question and, you know, our middle market audience, as I mentioned to you in our earlier conversations uh, that listen to this, many of them are in the C-suite. Some of them are perhaps in family businesses like yourself, second, third, fourth generation. Others are, you know, looking to maybe found their own company. And, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you uh, give to folks that, you know, are listening that, you know, really do have their eyes of uh, getting into their own corner office of their own someday? Well, I think the first one is uh, is that it's okay to be impatient for results, but it's mm. not okay to be impatient with your employees. So I think patience, yeah. uh, patience um, with the people around you, is something that I I have learned that is extremely helpful and valuable, um, and part of the respect aspect of our business. So I, that's mm. the encouragement that I give people is is show patience, listen well, All right. Um, second one I think is, uh, to aspire to, to a level five leader where people mm. are following you because of what you, uh, of what you stand for. Um, so I think that's something that I aspire to is right. that level five leadership and something that will, is a game changer for any business. If you have a leader that is, is that level five leader. And then a third is, is don't work too much. <laughs> Get it right balance. Huh? Balance is everything. Yeah, balance is yeah. a must. Without balance, right. no matter how talented you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how smart, smart you are, things will unravel at some point. Well, Jim Nooney, uh, CEO of Nooney Controls, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you, Brant. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.